called Strength to Strength, which is a counseling and training organization. We counsel, we train people to hopefully to, to succeed with life, to succeed with this life that Jesus said he came to give us, but a life that many people have found to be anything but easy and certainly not abundant. So we've got uh, our branch in Christchurch, that's sort of our, our head office, so to speak, but we've also established a branch here in Wellington. And our next step is world domination. So we're looking forward to that. And, and I lead a team of people who counsel, who coach, we supervise, we do a variety of different training events. I'm going to be back here in the Wellington region in about three weeks, running a course on becoming emotionally strong. So if anyone's interested in that or anything else that we do, feel free to look us up on Facebook or our website of Strength to Strength. But you see, in all that we do, in all that we, we focus on, our aim is, our hope is that all of God's people would become completely dissatisfied with anything less than freedom, full and complete freedom in Him. So with the team that I lead, we, well, our aim is to help people to break through and to break free into all that, that God has created them to be and all that God has called them to do. And that's the, the aim, the heart of what we have. But what we find is that so many people are bound up, they're bruised up. There's so much inside of them that's messing them up, that their wounds of the past are restraining them. So much so that when Jesus comes and he unlocks the door to their prison cell, they don't want to leave. Now, isn't that interesting? There's something about that place where they just want to stay. You know, what we found is that people can encounter truth, but they prefer their own lies. You know, we see this in John 3, where it says, you know, Jesus came as the light of the world, and everyone else said, you know what, we prefer our darkness, thanks so much. There's something in us that, that resists the truth. So much so that what I'll find is that people can be, get so messed up inside, they're so used to what's been going on inside of them, they're so used to the pain, the dysfunction, the lies that are there, that what they'll say to me is, Richard, what you need to understand is this is just who I am. They'll say to me, well, what you need to understand is in the way that I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing, that they, they say that, that this is just my personality type. Whereas what I'll say to them is, this isn't your personality type. This is your prison cell. And it's time to let it go. It's time to find freedom. It's time to find what God is actually calling you to. And you see, this is what I love about what God's asked of me. It is he hasn't asked me to just sweet talk people. He hasn't asked me to just get people to think more positively about themselves. What he's asked me to do is to get people to actually see who they are, to step into the truth that is true, what reality is true for them. So all I need to do with a person isn't sweet talk them, it's to reveal what has always been there. But at times they've been blinded to it, that they just haven't seen it. But when they do, well now, now freedom comes. 
when they do, well, this, this forms a kind of bedrock in their life. When they do, this is their, their tūranga waiwai. This is what holds them in place to weather any storm. You see, my friends, you are not who you think you are. You're not who you feel you are. You are who God says you are. If you believe you're anything more than that, well, that's pride. But if you believe you're anything less than that, that's pride. Because you're saying you know better than God as to who you are. Are you with me? So in this, part of what I want us to look at tonight is we're going to look in one part at identity and who you are. Although I do get that identity is a topic. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's one of those really weird topics. It's a slightly strange topic. I mean, the way that I see it is identity is a lot like the elastic in your undies. You know, it's really important, but you're, you're not usually aware that it's there until something goes wrong. And then it's really uncomfortable. So in one part, we're going to look at identity, but in the other part, what we're going to look at here is the why we resist who God says we are. Why we resist what the truth is about who we are. Does that sound okay? It does to three people over here. I've just lost everybody else, haven't I? So if you've got your Bibles with you, I want to take you to Judges chapter 6. And we're also going to put it up on the screen. So here, just as a backdrop to, to this passage we were up to, is this is the point in Israel's history where they've come up out of Egypt, they've entered into the promised land. But at this point, Moses is dead, Joshua is dead. At this point, they have leaders who rise up and everyone follows them and everything goes well. And then the leader dies and everyone goes about their own business and the whole nation turns to custard. And at that point, other nations rise up in order to torment, punish, and dominate the Israelites. And when we pick up in this story, there's a nation called Midian that has risen up, that has dominated, tormented. They have massacred the Israelites. They have destroyed their livelihood. They have stolen their food. They have wiped out their crops. They have so terrified the Israelites. The Israelites have fleed, and they're now living in the hills in caves because they're panicking that these Midianites could come at any moment and kill more of their loved ones destroy more of their livelihood, and then where would they be left? And it's in that scene that we pick up on this passage, starting at verse 6. Here we read, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. 
I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you lived, but you have not listened to me. Now, if we just pause there, you start to understand why so many people want to stone the prophets. A prophet's turned up and says, you know this pain that you're in? Yeah, it's your fault. Thanks. Verse 11, we read, The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. So we have this scene where the pressure has come upon the Israelites. They, they are tormented, they are suffering, they are in pain. And as a result, they finally cry out to the Lord. In many ways, this is the age-old story that we face, is it not? Where we just get on with our lives. We just try to live our life however we want to live it. And it's not until we find that we're suffering. It's not until we find things just get too hard for us that we decide to pray and reach out to God. Whereas, of course, he wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives so that it all might go well for us rather than come up against and come under the power of another nation. So at this point, the, the Israelites have cried out. And what does God do? He sends a prophet who says, remember. Remember what God has done. Remember who God is. Remember who you are before him. Remember. And you see, isn't that interesting? You see, if I don't know about you, but if I was one of the Israelites, I would have been mightily cheesed off at this. I mean, when you think about it, here we are, we're suffering, we're crying out, we're in pain. And what does God do? He just sends us someone to tell us to remember. I mean, what's interesting here is he doesn't change their situation. He doesn't make it all better. He doesn't take away the power of the Midianites, not yet anyway. What he does is he stirs up the people to remember now, why is that? Because God needs a foundation of faith before he acts. And faith comes by hearing. And so he comes to get his people to remember, to have faith in him. Because what's interesting is that God really doesn't ever do it without us. Have you noticed that? He does it in us and he does it through us. 
but he very rarely ever does it without us. And so after getting these people to start to remember, to start to believe again, into that context comes this angel to speak to Gideon. Now, where's Gideon at this point? Gideon, we're told, is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, the thing that we understand about those ancient times is when they used to do the threshing of wheat, that was to get the grain out of the head of wheat. They would do that in an open air kind of place where a breeze could blow through, where a draft could blow through, where the wind could blow through, so that when they threshed the wheat, the heavy grain would fall to the ground and all of the chaff would be blown out so they could then scoop up the grain and take it away. I mean, this was hard work. This was back-breaking work. But where is Gideon doing this? He's not doing it in the usual place. He's doing it in a wine press, which is an enclosed space, because he's terrified. He's trying to keep it from the Midianites. He's trying to keep himself safe while he gets some food. And so in doing that, as he threshes the wheat, there is no wind to blow the chaff away. So he's got to sift through it all. He's got to painstakingly pull out the chaff and separate it from the wheat, pull out the dirt, the, 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 the chaff that's there, all the other bits so that they can just get some of the grain. This isn't just backbreaking work. This is soul-destroying work. This is a place where he is so despondent. It's a place of humiliation. And it's in that scene that the angel comes and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, it's something that just seems so farcical when you have these two together. Can you see that? And yet... If we pause there for a second, what we find is that what we see that's taking place here is that when the angel comes, the angel speaks to Gideon, his very identity. Who is Gideon? Who is Gideon at his core? He is a mighty warrior. That is part of who God has created him to be. That is the, his identity. That's the essence of who he is. That's at his very core. He has yet to give expression to this, and he will later on. So in this moment, it may be hard to see it. It may be hard to spot that there is this mighty warrior lurking inside of him. It may be hidden by the fact that he's hiding. But you see, this is the core of who he is. This is his absolute true identity. Now, can you imagine if Gideon at this point had been like Mary and simply accepted the words and stepped into that? How quickly things would have changed. How quickly things would have turned out. But unfortunately, Gideon is human. And Gideon is male. So he's got a few things he's got to work against. And so in this, when God comes in the form of the angel to reveal Gideon's identity, Gideon struggles to accept it. 
He struggles to take it on board. He struggles to, to hear what is being said about what's truly inside of him. You know, I'll often have people who will ask me when I'm counseling them or I'm training them. They'll say, Richard, you know, how long is it going to take before I heal up? How long is it going to take before I'm over all of this? And one of the things that I'll say to them is that you heal at the speed that you can absorb truth. You heal at the speed at which you will allow yourself to believe the truth. But of course, so often what we have is we have other voices in our head. We have other images being reflected to us about who we are that just aren't true. And so as of course, understandably, because of that, we dismiss what is actually true about who we are. You see, the way I put it is, it works a little bit like this. I mean, how many people here have ever been to or know of something called the House of Mirrors? You know, at those theme parks, those, those circuses, anyone, anyone been to one of these? There's a few hands, and there's a few people who don't really want to put up their hand. But you all know what I'm talking about with this. You know, you go in, and one mirror looks you, makes you look all tall and spindly. You look into another mirror, it makes you look short and squat. So whether you feel like you just need a few more inches or you want to lose a, a bit of weight, it depends on which mirror you look into. It's all good. It's a lot of fun. But can you imagine, can you imagine what it would be like if a child grew up in a house of mirrors and they never left? I mean, I want you to think about that. If a child grew up in a house of mirrors and they never left, I mean, what kind of sense would they have about the way that they look? I mean, it would be a very distorted view, wouldn't it? It would be a really warped version of who they are. And you see, that's where all of these images would go in their mind about who they are, about being tall and spindly, one moment short and squat, another moment. But can you imagine if after living in this house of mirrors for years, they finally were able to get out of there, and what they saw in front of them was a perfect, true mirror that accurately reflected who they are. Can you imagine what they would say of that image? That's not me. That's just not me. I mean, I'd love that to be me, but that's just not me. I mean, I know how I look. I'm tall and spindly. I'm short and squat. I'm far more distorted than that. I see other people that look like that. It would be lovely to look like that, but that's not me. I have people who tell me I look like that, but really they're just being nice. If they really just knew what I was really like, they would know that I don't look like that. And so what happens is, there is their mindset is so distorted by the images that they have seen that they fail to see reality when it's staring them in the face. And my friends, you have all grown up in a house of mirrors. And there is image upon image of who you are that's been reflected to you by some very distorted mirrors. And you're carrying a kind of distorted version of you in the background of your mind. And what happens as we do that is we get so used to this distorted image. It's so familiar that the only thing that we allow in, the only thing that we allow ourselves to believe is anything that confirms this. It's called confirmation bias. 
And anything that seems to go against it, anything that may even be absolutely true, well, we dismiss that because it doesn't match this warped image. And so as a result, we keep carrying this this image around, and the only thing that we believe is whatever confirms the lie, the distortion, the delusion. And so many people have looked into the mirror of their abuse, of the neglect, of the trauma, of the regret, of the things that people have said and done in their life. And they have assumed, that's who I am. No, my friends, that's never been who you are. That's simply been what you have experienced. And that, you can understand, would leave someone with a very damaged sense of self. And that restrains you from being able to connect at times with who you actually are. And that's what we see happening for Gideon. So when the angel turns up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, Gideon, Gideon is in a place of disbelief here. He says, you come to me and you tell me that God is with me. I mean, at this point, what we notice for Gideon is there's this indignation that starts to rise up in him. There's this outrage that starts to rise up in him. As he says, you know, how can you tell me that God is with me? I mean, my country is being tormented. We're being massacred. We're being slaughtered. Our livelihood is being destroyed. And you come here and you tell me that God is with me? I mean, does this look like God's favor to you? How can you say that to me? You know, when I look at the images around me, what are they reflecting to me? We are the tormented ones. We are the abused ones. We are the dominated ones. We are the defeated ones. So how can you tell me that God is with me? You know, it's like having those well-meaning Christians when someone has lost a child or a person's been raped or there's been neglect or abuse that's happened, and they will say, well, God works all things together for good for those who love him. I mean, you just want to slap them, don't you? Because what you're telling me just doesn't add up with what I'm experiencing here. So how can you say this? And Gideon says, so you send us these prophets? You send us a prophet that tells us about all the great things that God did of how he led our people out of Egypt? Well, whoop de do It doesn't help us now. It doesn't put food on the table. It doesn't bring our loved ones back from the dead. It doesn't mean those people who have been massacred and slaughtered. It doesn't help them. So what does it matter that you tell us about what God has done in the past? It doesn't help now. And when I look into the mirrors of the context that I see around me and with what's going on around me, what do I see? I see that we are the hopeless ones. There's nothing for us here. Our God has abandoned us. And you see, my friends, what I'll find is that people at times will be so locked in their experiences and in the context of what they have found and what they have experienced that they just struggle to connect with the truth. I remember there was one woman who said, look, Richard, you know, I know that I am acceptable and I'm lovable, but when I look around me, she said, that's just not what I see. 
She was a woman in her 30s who longed to have a significant relationship and find that certain lovely someone and settle down. And she just hadn't been able to do that. And she said, when I look around me, what do I see? What, what's reflected back to me? That I am the rejected one. That I am the unwanted one. And she told me her journey, her story. She said, you know, it goes something like this. That, that I will meet a guy and we will go on a date. And I'll think, you know what, this this guy's actually quite a decent guy. This guy's quite a lovely guy. This guy might be the one. So she says, the next day, I'll send him a text, a really long text about how wonderful it was and how good it was. And then when he doesn't text me back immediately, well, then I will send another text about this is just unfair. You shouldn't lead a woman on. If you're not really serious, you shouldn't have invited me out in the first place. To which, of course, he goes, whoa, 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 you're just way too much hard work. And she goes, you see, I'm the rejected one. To which I said to her, did it ever occur to you that these guys are not rejecting you, but they're rejecting your protection mechanisms? for when you're in a place of pain and you're scared. And you see, as she started to think and dwell on this, as she started to realize that she's never been a rejected person, she's someone who has been dreamed up by God, who is on this planet because he wants her. That he said, I would rather die than be without you. That he has said, I will come back from the grave just to be with you. That he has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I am with you always. That the core of who she are has never been rejected. But she might have people who don't like her. She might have people who don't want a second date. But when she started to connect with the fact that she's always acceptable, that she's always lovable in him. She began to accept herself more, and things began to change. But you see, when you get caught in this loop, where this is all you can ever see, it's hard to see the truth. And this is what we see with, with Gideon here. Gideon is distraught. And and what's interesting, when you read the passage, God hears that he's distraught, and God moves closer to Gideon. And he says to Gideon, Oh, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. And how does Gideon reply? Strength? What strength? I don't have any strength. I mean, I'm the least in my family. I'm the runt of the litter. I have no strength, I've got no power, I've got no authority, I've got no influence here, I have no strength. You've got the wrong person here. Because even if you were to say that, that I am someone, my, my clan is the least, oh, my family is the weakest, we are nothing. So when I look into the mirrors of my family, my context, what do I see? I see that I am the powerless one. I am the insufficient one. I am the inadequate one. I am the disqualified one. And what I'll find is that many people will look into their, their, their families of what's been reflected to them growing up about their position, their context, all of that. And what will they say? They say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm no one. 
you know, I'm the abused one, I'm the neglected one, I'm the overlooked one, I'm the taken for granted one. I'm nothing. And all of these wounds start to get very loud in their heads. You see, my friends, what you have come through, everything that you have experienced, isn't you. This is what may have happened to you, but it is not the essence of who you are. This might very well be what the past version of you has now handed to the present version of you. But the good news is, you get to decide, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to allow it to determine my life and who I am? Or am I going to choose a different way? Because it may be something that has happened to me, but it has never been the essence of me. And it's not until we start to get that, that some of these resistors in us can die down. Because what's interesting here, you see it with Gideon, is that every time God comes and speaks the truth to Gideon, Gideon constantly goes, yeah, but, yeah, but. Did you notice this? I mean, if we have a look at the passage again, what we read here is that it says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon replies, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? Gideon says, our fathers told us about the wonders that God has done. But now the Lord has abandoned us. God says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Every time that God speaks the truth to him, Gideon constantly replies, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And my friends, if you keep looking at your life through your butts, everything's going to look rather crappy. And what we need to get a hold of, what I want you to get a hold of, is you are more loved. You are more significant. You are more acceptable. You are more powerful. You're more needed. You're more wanted. You're more whole in Him than you have ever dared to believe. And what we need to do is as we get a grip of this, it starts to straighten out the very warped mirror that's still in the background of our mind. And you see, it means, though, that we come against what has been so familiar to us for so long. We come against what feels so strong in us. And we come against what can feel very scary to start to believe and start to accept. Are you with me? Can we stand together? Can we do that please? Can I get the worship team back up? My friends, just where you are right now, just what I want you to do is just, I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to center on the Lord. I want you to greet Him. Just connect with Him now, just where you are. And as you're there with him, what I want you to do is just, I want you to lower your defenses before him. 
I want you to lower all of your walls so it's just him and you. And in that place of vulnerability, with your walls down and your defenses low, I want to ask you, what labels are on you? What messages have stuck to you? What conclusions have you come to about yourself? And whatever that is, I want you to scoop it all up. I want you to bundle up the good, the bad, the ugly of all of those labels and those messages. And I want you to place them in God's hands right now. And as you stand here, in one sense, completely naked and vulnerable before him, with no messages or labels on you, with your walls down, your defenses gone, I want you to ask him, Lord, how do you name me? And I want you to listen. And with your walls down and your defenses low, I want you to ask him, Lord, how do you see me? And listen for what he says. And if you're starting to hear God speak to you, if there are words or images that are coming to mind as how God is naming you, as to what he's saying to you, then what I would like you to do is come find a place up the front here, just spread out and be in a place where you are saying, Lord, I just want to step into what you're telling me right now. And as you come up the front and find a place, that's just you working with him. And we're going to have people come around and pray with you as well. There are others of you where there aren't necessarily any words or images that are coming to mind, but there's something you're feeling inside. There's a sense that God is shifting something, that he's messing with you in some way. And again, I just want you to honor that and come find a place at the front and just say, Lord, keep messing with me. Put me the right way up. And if anyone else is just feeling left out and they really want prayer, you can come up the front too. It's all fine. But as I pray, come find a place at the front and there are going to be people who are going to gather around you. Lord, we want to thank you that we are your kids and that you love us to bits. That when you look at us, you beam with a smile. That your heart expands when you think about us. Lord, that you brought us into this world and you knew that you would have to sacrifice everything to hold on to us. And you were willing to do that. Lord, we want to thank you for the power that you is in your love. 
Lord, we want to thank you that you always speak the truth to us. And Lord, we want to thank you that you fill us with your power and your strength and your peace. So in this place, we pray, come, Lord, break the lies, remove the labels. Lord, destroy the images that are not of you. And Lord, gift us with who you say we are and gift us with the courage to own who you say we are. So we ask for this in your name. Amen.